Um, we have a special guest speaker in the house this morning. And it's a good friend of mine. His name is Jordan. He's going to come up in just a minute. And this man is a, in a, I don't even know what the word is. I don't have a proper adjective, but a worshiper of God. He's a, a passionate worshiper. And I, he's going to speak and deliver a word today, but I don't trust um, a preacher who doesn't worship. So I love, <laughs> I love it when worshipers get to preach, you know what I'm saying? So I just really have a problem, man. If you can't sing to the Lord, like, what are you saying to me? I don't care what you got to say. If you... <laughs> all right, that's all I'm going to say. That's me. Hello. Hi, nice to meet you. You can talk to more, to more to me at Fresh Start. But Jordan's going to come. He actually messaged me and Jimmy, and he's like, I don't do this. This is on me. The Lord said I have a word for the house today. So I don't even know what it is yet, but I know Jordan, and I trust his heart. I love him. This is my cherished friend. So would you please stand to your feet and welcome Jordan Deal to the stage to deliver the word today. Come on, louder, louder, louder. So good. Yes. Oh, man. How you guys doing? Uh, you know what? I'm so, so proud of what I'm seeing here already. I shouldn't tell you that, all of you guys. I'm very proud of it, and you should be too. You should be too. <clears throat> you know, things are changing. Change is the only constant in life. You have Jesus and change. That's it. That's all you got. <clears throat> things are changing, and, you know, people are, are leaving the church in droves because they came for family and got a system. They came for communion. They came for a table. You know, that's why things like homes giving and things like that are so important. So uh, I'm going to be trucking today. So you better hold on to your butts. <laughs> Got a lot to talk about. I have a now word and I have my assignment. So after you have to, I think it takes a lot more maturity. See, like it takes a lot, it takes maturity to hear from the Lord in the moment and respond, but it takes even more maturity to hear from God a year in advance and respond in kind. I know a lot of people, especially in our charismatic moves, who emphasize the ability to hear in the moment and respond, important, but they look down upon and frown upon the ability to hear from God and respond and plan and, and execute over a year, you know, and like. You know, so hearing from God in the moment is actually not that impressive. So, uh, <clears throat> so if you can hear from God and, and still be doing it for 30 years, that, I'll, I'll, that's impressive. <clears throat> and so I have, I have a now word and then I have my assignment word. So I just want to take three minutes and just say this word for the resting place about rest. You know, uh, Whatever you name yourself is probably going to be your fight. So the resting place, I, we, every, I, jokingly, I, I thought of a, uh, a graveyard when I first heard it. But you're actually the opposite, and the Lord is actually inviting this whole community to come and die so that something else might live. And see, like the Lord... And he's calling you into rest in the midst of chaos. 
the Lord gets excited about chaos. In Genesis 1-2, uh, in, the, in the Hebrew, it talks about how chaos covered the face of the deep, and the Lord gets excited and decides to create. The Lord loves darkness, and he loves chaos. Just because in him there is no darkness, it says in Psalms, and he makes darkness and thick clouds his secret place. So there, he is surrounded by darkness. And the thing is, is that he has called you out into the deep, dark waters. This is what he calls you out into. And he is actually excited. But if you freak out because you've never seen peace like this before, he'll tell peace to be still. Because peace is a person. So the disciples are freaking out because they've never seen God like this before. Jesus knew. See, like everybody blames the devil for the storm. But the thing is, is that all we know is, all that we know is that Jesus needed to get to the other side. Jesus only did what he saw the Father doing. So he gets in the boat. And, and the reason he was able to rest is because every, he knew that my, I'm sustained by my obedience. So you called me out here. And the disciples are looking at Jesus and they're like, you called us out here and we are going to freaking die. And, he's ta- and you're out here taking naps and stuff, and we're about to die. And then he gets up and he tells peace to be still. Because what they didn't realize is that the storm was their momentum. Because if our God is for us, there is nothing that is against us. And so I want to challenge you now. You have to know how to rest in these storms, in, these, in this chaos. Because the Lord is actually brooding in this. He is uh, circulating in this. He is in these deep clouds of darkness, and he's actually excited because something, he, he's actually pr- propelling you. So the thing is, is that the storm was their momentum, but because they lived in fear, they couldn't see it. So they call out to peace, and they're saying, please stop all this chaos, but they didn't recognize that peace was already what was pushing them. So he's in the boat, and he's freaking out. They're all freaking out. And Jesus gets up, and he says, guys, where's your faith? And he tells peace to be still because they've never seen him this way before. And so they're, on, they're out on the water, and they're just freaking out. And when he's telling them to rest. So when God calms the storms, it feels really, really good. But the thing is, is that you have to use your own power now to get the rest of the way. So all, this, all the waves are calm. Everything's chill. Cool. Well, I'm going to go back to sleep. Now you guys got to row. So I want, I want to challenge you guys. Don't f- cry out in fear when you start seeing chaos. Because the Lord is actually excited. And a lot of things that are happening right now feel chaotic. And the Lord is brooding in this. Okay, he's excited about it. So like, but you also at the same time have to know how to respond when, because I know this sounds crazy. I want you to hear something from me. We're supposed to do everything from rest, but what do you do when there's actual literal turmoil the Lord's calling you to, because the thing is you have disciples freaking out when they should be resting, and then in, in the Garden of Gethsemane, when they're supposed to be, when Jesus is actually freaking out about something. They're sleeping at the wrong time. So the thing is, you have to know your hour. 
So the disciples didn't know when they were supposed to rest. So the actual, so Gethsemane was full of, it was a garden, a place of peace in the natural. Though the night is quiet, super chill. And Jesus is losing his, he's losing it. Asking them to partner with him right now because it's actually not time to rest. <laughs> I need help right now. <laughs> we, need, we need to be vigilant in this hour. And, but they could not recognize the sign of the time because they could not see. They could not see. They let the natural things dictate in their eyes how they were supposed to respond. So the resting place, you have to know how to rest in each season and how to respond in kind. So, so when it's time to freak out and everything looks like okay, everybody freaking hit the floor and let's pray until we are in, in together, until we figure this out together. You see what I'm saying? So know how to respond in these moments. So that word was for free. That's for, that's the now word, okay? And it, this is one of the, it's one of those words. I actually could talk about that for hours about how like we what do you do when you don't when you I've never seen God like this before. I've never seen, I just wrote a song about it that messed my life up because it's like I didn't I, I I didn't recognize you because I never seen you this way before. They didn't recognize him when he came as a as a baby in the middle of the dark in the backside of the woods in the middle of a cave. They didn't recognize him because they thought it was going to be a king who was going to come through politics. And then all of a sudden their king dies on a cross and he's gone. And because, and he didn't shape things in politics. He didn't play that game. And then he died in order so that everyone could live. And no one knew how to process this. They didn't know how to recognize him. And I want to challenge you, and I want to invite you into a journey with God to recognize him no matter what he's doing. All right. So here's my, my assigned word for you guys. And um, I'm going to encourage you to go back and listen to it. Because um, the things I'm going, to, I'm going to be saying, I'm not going to have time to quantify everything. And it's going to hit you in waves. I just know because I, I'm doing it and it's hitting me in waves. So I'm going to encourage you. Uh, do you guys record this? This is probably going to be one you're going to have to chew on a bit. All right? You guys ready? All right. All right, well, Lord, I love you. I thank you. I thank you for this group of people. And I bless them. I bless this house, and God, I ask that uh, uh, I break off the spirit of confusion in the name of Jesus, anything that would try to get between our ears to keep us from hearing your voice. In Jesus' name, amen. So this word kind of comes with, I'm going to have a disclaimer before I say it. Um, This is one of my life's messages. When you, when, you, when you are called to preach, you have certain things that are like your thing. You know what I mean? Like you use certain things like this is what I live to teach. Even if you preach any message, you probably could always bring it back to this. And um, this is one of those sermons for me. I've only spoke this word three times. No, two times. This would be my third time. At two different churches. And... Uh, the best way for me to put it is because they didn't heed this word, uh, they, they're falling apart. So it's a now word, but I almost feel bad because, like, I'm bringing it at the beginning of everything. And so, like, it, it's, it, and I don't want to scare you. I'm just saying I, I'm so, my conviction is so high on this, and I know that it's right to my core. So the title of my sermon, do you have um, my notes back there? The title of my sermon is Real Sustainable Power. And uh, the older I get, I become more and more obsessed with things that are real 
and sustainable. Is anybody else with me? <clears throat> All right. Because uh, one thing, you know, they call our family, they call us the real deal. Because, we, you know, it's, it's a joke. But really, over the years, I realized that, that was actually a prophetic word for my life. I'm obsessed with what's real. And, and, but with every year that passes, I become more and more obsessed with sustainability. So today, my, my, I'm actually going to be teaching out of Acts chapter 2. And, um, and it's, it's going to, I, I actually avoided this for years growing up as a Pentecostal because I got tired of hearing bad sermons about Acts chapter 2. And, uh, and I avoided it like the plague. And, and, and then, so what, what's crazy is I found my life's message in it. And uh, so I've heard a thousand sermons that take place in Acts 2, and almost every single one has been centered around power. Because people love power. You know, who doesn't love power? The problem with this idea is that people love, more, uh, that people love power because of what they can gain most of the time. Attention, notoriety, platforms, and authority, or whatever adjective you want to use. So where things seem to get off is most people don't know why they were given power in the first place. So a lot of people think the Lord is actually attracted to power. But what's kind of funny is, is that he appears to be attracted to weakness. So in fact, his power is actually made perfect in weakness. And he loves using the weak and the powerless and the foolish things to confound those who think they are strong. This is what Paul says in 1 Corinthians. So Jesus and Paul's sermons and teachings were full of this kind of language and rhetoric. But a lot of people don't preach those parts because they don't sell well. And for some reason, people think that the gospel needs to be sold. So we have a whole lot of teachings in other Gospels based upon self-help. How to make yourself more powerful so that you can finally function right. How you can fix what is broken in life. How you can take your life under your control. But I want to tell you something. It's not called the fruit of you. It's called the fruit of the Spirit. Because, and the reason it's not the fruit of you, you were not created to try to morph all of love from your life. You were, you were created to be a partaker of the divine nature and partake of the fruit of the Spirit so your body can assimilate it and so that it can actually function. So the fruit of the Spirit is not the fruit of you. If you try to love on your own, you're eventually going to what? Tap out. If you try to have joy on your own, you'll eventually tap out. You need a helper... And you need something that you can partake of that can actually sustain you in this life. So anytime you try to produce the fruit of the Spirit on your own without the helper, you are going to fail. You guys with me? All right. So it's not the fruit of you. Is anybody glad that you don't have to try to bear all this? And I'll tell you right now that some of you are just getting set free because you've been trying to love on your own. And you're like, why am I always so exhausted with loving people? That's why. You have to partake of love so that you can give love. So the bottom line is, is that you cannot do it out on your own. See, in Genesis 1 which is like our original intent and how we were made. Genesis 1.26, it talks about how he created that, um, that they created man in their image. So listen to this. That we were created out of relationship 
for relationship to perpetuate relationship. Because anything that is good in this world comes from an us. Every good and perfect gift comes from above, right? God said, let us make man in our image. So all that is good in us came from an us. Anything that is really good comes from a relational connection. So the angle that I want to come from this subject today is from the point of view that I really hear spoke on, and I honestly could speak on this like, this is a sermon, if I was going to be teaching it in my church, it would be like a three-week thing, and I need to try to condense it into the next 20 minutes. So I want to come at this subject from a very different angle. So if you have your Bibles or your phones, can we turn to Acts chapter 1, verse 6. So I want to talk about the birth of the church and how the restoration of real relationship changed everything. So let's turn Acts chapter 1, verse 6. You can put that up for me. It says this, so when they had come together, they asked him, and just a little bit of context real quick. This is right after Jesus' resurrection, and he is spending 40 days with his disciples, and this is right when he's getting ready to ascend into heaven. And they said, so when they came together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? And he said to them, it is not for you to know the times or the seasons that the Father is fixed by his own authority. What's so funny is that the disciples have been with him for three years, and they're still asking him political questions. They're still asking him, they're still trying to get him to fix the chaos, They're still trying to get him to fix the problem. And he's like, get your eyes off the chaos. I'm in it. And he says, so so basically, Jesus didn't blow him off. He gave him an answer. He's like, guys, I've already told you this, but here you go, verse 7. In verse 8, he goes, but this is what I'll tell you. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And when he had said these things, they were... As they were looking on him, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. So much revelation of that verse, but for the sake of time, Jesus said, I, you're asking the wrong questions, but let me tell you what you do need to know. You're going to receive power. And it's going to come from the Holy Spirit. So the thing is, is that people are constantly waiting for God to save them. And this kind of get me out of here mentality is what has robbed us in the last hundred years so bad. This exit theology, so because if you have this exit theology that I'm just waiting for God to come back so I can get up out of here, and and you you know what that does to you is it makes you a poor steward because you don't care about where you're at. So if you're constantly thinking that you're just waiting for God to get you out of here, which the disciples were still trying to do in that moment, they they did not care about their city. They did not care about Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria. They just cared about God saving them. They did not care about having influence. They cared about God, get us out of this situation. And so this exit theology thing that came out about a few years, you know, some years ago, where we started asking God to do our job and praying for him to do uh, and, and actually trying to do his job. So we're like, God, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to go into my prayer closet and I'm going to work on making myself more holy by separating myself from the very thing that you called me to. So I, I want to do your job, which is righteousness, and I'm going to try to take care of this myself, and then I'm going to pray for you to change the world, God. You know why? Because it's way easier to just try to take care of yourself. 
It's way easier not to care about what's going on around you, what's going on in your neighborhood, what's going on in your community, what's going on on the earth. It's so much easier to do that. But God's plan to cover the earth is the waters that covers the sea. His glory covering the earth is actually his plan is you, Christ in you, the hope of glory, to expand the borders of garden to all the earth. So, are you with me? So we have to understand that when we beg him to take us away, we're asking him to take away our mandate. So I'm obsessed with definitions. Are you guys with me? I'm obsessed with definitions. And one of the definitions of power is control, right? The reason that so many people have loved powerful moves of God is because they found new ways to control. And, like, and I'm going to tell you this right now. The real power in the kingdom is when you relinquish control. It's the opposite. There's so many things in, in this life that, we, that we, 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 we try to take the dictionary definition and put it into the kingdom. But the thing is, is that they don't line up half the time. I, I, and I could go down a list and do this with you, but I, I, for the sake of time, I won't. Are you guys following me? All right, cool. So you guys, let's turn to Acts 2. So Jesus ascends into heaven. I want to talk about what's happening right between Acts 1 and Acts chapter 2. So the disciples, they're all like, he leaves, and they're like, oh, dang. Like, that was our plan. <laughs> that, that, that was my plan, and he just, like, elevated on out of here. And uh, can I get a water? We're not going to get a chance from anybody. So, so like, that was our plan. And, and the disciples, so what, what do they do? They're like, oh, I can just picture them like, kind of looking at each other. Well, that was dramatic. <laughs> you know, he comes for 40 days, and then he's like, deuces. Like, I, I don't, I thought, I thought we had a thing going here. But so, so Jesus takes off, and they come, no worries. And uh, they, uh, they, he disappears. And so what they decide to do between Acts 1 and Acts chapter 2, verse 1, is they were like, man, maybe we should. So they're like, I don't know. What do you, what do you want us to do? So you know what they decided to do is they were like, Let... they went to the last place they had communion with Jesus. That's what they did. They're like, well, I don't know a lot of things, but Jesus said we should probably get together and remember him. So it says the upper room is actually, most theologians believe, and I do as well, that it was the same upper room where they actually had communion with Jesus last. So they returned to this upper room, not out of obedience as much as it was like nostalgia maybe even. They're just like, they're, they're almost in this remembrance mourning thing of this guy who left them, the plan left. And they're just, they're just like, so let's get together. And Jesus said that we needed to you know, pray, so let, let's get together and we'll, 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 we'll just get together. And so I, I pictured so many things, and I think you have too, I actually heard so many things over the years. I pictured a lot of 10 days I pictured of, of just revival prayers. This is where I grew that they're just like, God, constipated face. <laughs> like, because everybody knows the Holy Spirit hears you better the tighter your eyes are closed. <laughs> God, we need you. You left us. Do you even care? Pay attention to us. Yeah. 
If, if your prayers sound like this, God, just pay attention to me. You've already missed it. If your worship sounds exuberant because you want God to notice you, you already missed it. See, like, see, like my worship now through maturity over the years has become like I worship not because I need him to notice me. I worship because I've been noticed. I don't worship to get attention. I worship because I have it all. I have all the attention. Are you with me? So like we have to change our perspective. So the disciples, they get together and they start praying. And I was convinced that it was probably something like weeping and gnashing of teeth, travail. And, you know, but what's funny is that they get together like, okay, we need to pray. And then what they do, they decide like, okay, we've been praying for a minute. Is anybody bored? Let, you know, oh, we need a, we need a uh, apostle. That's what we need to do. So they get, so they get, they get, you know, they replace Judas, they cast lots. They get, they get this new decide, they get this new apostle. <laughs> They're like, cool, cool. Now what? Um, okay, so we, oh, that's like day one. Oh, geez. All right. So like, that's we got nine more days. <laughs> so, the, so I, I began wondering, like, what was actually taking place here? And what I realized is that I believe there was prayer. There was. But I believe it was way more natural than we we would like to think, and it looked less like a a revival service and looked more like continual prayer, meditation, trying to figure out what the heck just happened. And um, and it looked like 120 people stuffed into a small space, probably daily coming back to the table for communion. Because, like... It didn't say anything about fasting. That's the other thing. So, like, they weren't really fasting. They were actually prepping for a feast, culturally. Um, so it was the, the Feast of Weeks, the Feast of Pentecost. So I want to talk about the most powerful verse in all of Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2, verse 1. You ready? And when the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. This word together in the Greek is a word that's, uh, I'm not, I don't claim to be an expert on it, but it's a word that's uh, pronounced hamu, did I say it right? Which means the same or without difference. In those 10 days, am I on the right track? Hopefully, close. That they were coming together in motives over this 10 days, started becoming the same. They started looking at each other as they were having communion, looking across the table. And they were stuck in this funnel of relationship. They're all very different. Tax collectors, doctors, fishermen, prostitutes, mothers, fathers, second-borns, the leftovers. People who were still trying to figure out each other out, like, do I even like this dude across from me? It's people trying to get past their judgments of former prostitutes, men trying to get over the, why women are even here in this room right now. So it was women and men at the same table. So here they are together, but not together. And in the, these 10 days, what, what was happening, that, so that the, 
it was them becoming together. So, so the, the promised Holy Spirit arrived on the day of Pentecost, which another name for this is the Feast of Weeks. So the spiritual significance of this are a lot, and which I don't have time to go into, but that it, what it was, it was a time of harvest, okay? And during, so during this time, they would actually, they had a tradition that would take place midnight, moving into, this is, this is something that I discovered like just a few months ago and it blew my mind, a tradition that took place midnight, moving into the first day of Pentecost. And because everybody in this room, they're pretty much Jewish, they, they would, they would they, I, I, my thought is they started doing this together. So throughout Jewish history, it had been custom, customary to engage in this all-night study of, of the Torah on the first evening of Shabbat, and children were actually encouraged to memorize scripture, and they would be rewarded with treats for studying the book of Ruth. And this all of a sudden really hit me like never before as I was hitting this. I started thinking about the book of Ruth and just some of the, what are some of the things that stick out to me? Because the book of Ruth actually takes place during the Feast of Weeks. It, took, it was a time of harvest. That's why they meditate on the book of Ruth. So a couple of things that are happening in the book of Ruth says, you know, like that God is concerned about all people regardless of race, nationality, status, or gender. So Ruth was not a Jew and she was a Moabite. And even though many discriminated against her, what this story shows is that God loves those people just the same. So in Deuteronomy 23, it says, no Moabite will be accepted by God. But in Ruth's story, it was a prophetic statement that says that there's a law that is already different from that. And it's a law of love that brings everyone back into family. Another thing that happens in, in Ruth that we see is that men and women are both equally important to God. So that God cares about men and women the same, and our value to him is equal. And that there's no such, there's no such thing as an unimportant person in God's eyes. So I was on a, at a surface level, few saw Ruth as an important person, since she was from Moab, which was a nation that originated from incestuous encounters between Lot and his daughters. She was a poor widow, and she was living in a foreign land away from her birth family. But God saw her as important, and his plans for her life culminated in her becoming a part of the lineage of Jesus as the grandmother of King David. So God, God's plan typically involves using people who are considered to be the underdogs or unimportant or unimpressive from man's perspective, but his strength is made perfect in our weakness. So this, this is what's happening in this room. I believe that as they begin to study and think about the book of Ruth, they actually got the key to their unity. And I believe this is where they had breakthrough. This is where they experience real power. So, you know, and I, I spent years thinking that they had, I, somebody told me in a sermon one time that they were just fasting and praying and crying out to God. And I had this picture that power, that real power came from fasting. And there's an element that does where you've weakened the flesh to, to have clarity. But the thing is, is that, and there is a power that does come, but in this case, they were prepping for feasting, living out communion, remembering him together, getting past their differences of, uh, on all fronts, and then all of a sudden, boom, real power shows up in the room. So my, my hypothesis is, is that, that real power comes when relationships start being restored. 
Why? Why? I think of many different reasons. Like, you guys heard me earlier that everything was created out of relationship, for relationship, to perpetuate relationship. See, the Trinity are three distinct and separate individuals that are lived in perfect submission to one another through their covenant relationship with each other. It actually looks just like a marriage. It's, that it's a union that is so beautiful uh, that the woman even takes on the name. God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit. You see, we, we get this for a reason. So when they were all the same, then he poured out a spirit. It's not like the same in personality. It's not the same in gender. It's that it's the same in thought and in deed and in action. And, and when they started doing this, I started realizing that like they, they had some sort of revelation in this moment that if I cannot learn to love the person across the table from me in communion, that, I, that, I, that there is something about him that I don't love. First, First John 4 says, if anyone says of God, that I love God and hate his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen, then he cannot love God whom he has seen. So like, you know, let's just get to like as, as nitty gritty as I can. Like if you say you love God and hate Obama, you're a liar. If you say you love God and hate Trump, you're a liar. So let's just go there. Like you, you don't get to do that. When you gave your life over to Christ, you forfeited, you forfeited the right to do that. That right goes to people who are not found. That right is not for you. You are sons and daughters. You don't get that right. Your right is love, and your inheritance is love. Are you with me? So if you're not willing to love your brother or sister, you're not ready for real power. So many people want power of, on their own, but it is an impossible to sustain. And we've seen this time and time again, that you cannot sustain power on your own. But what about what they're doing when God's, you know, what, what, about, what about what they're manifesting? In the, so when, when has God's love for you ever been predicated upon what you're doing or what you're manifesting? Unconditional means unconditional, which means without condition. So Jesus loved everybody who beat him, ripped his beard out of his face, crucified him. And you know why he was able to do this? It's because he wasn't alone. He had a helper. That spirit descended on him like a dove, they say, right? You know, can we just do away with bad theology? That... When, the, in it, when it came on Jesus like, like a dove, it landed on him and never left. I grew up in the church hearing that, like, you know, the Holy Spirit's like a dove. And if you do anything that's out of order, the Holy Spirit's like, he's out of here. And he's like, I can't take it. See, but the Holy Spirit is actually more like a mother who's just like, what's going on with you right now? Do you have the sniffles? Can I give you something? Constantly, the Holy Spirit is referred to in the effeminate, given to these these this mothering nature. And see, the thing is, I don't know about you, but my mother just will not leave me alone to this day. Is anybody thankful for that? So like this helper, the, oh, an ever-present help in time of need. So this helper is with you all the time. And the thing is, is that people think that the Holy Spirit is a gentleman. That he only does what you ask or only comes when he's invited. And I'm going to tell you right now, I can think of so many times when I was pissed off and I've been so mad. And the last thing I wanted was for the Holy Spirit to be near me. And there he is showing up. 
my ever-present help. And it's like, I didn't even ask you to be here. In fact, can you leave me alone? Are you with me? So do I believe in inviting the Holy Spirit? Sure. Yeah, but he's going to be, he's there. All right? Do I believe in giving him permission to do whatever he wants? Sure, but he's there. Are you guys with me? I'm, I'm moving as fast as I can. All right. Somebody apologize to, to children's workers. So the Holy Spirit is always in your mess. And if, and if you're not willing to know your brother, you're not ready to know him. So if you're not willing to love and know the person, okay, we're all created in the image of the creator, so the person next to you just looks just as much like God as you do. So if you're not willing to know them and submit to them and look them in the eye and see God in them, there's something about him that you are already choosing on purpose to miss. So if you're not willing to know your brother, you're not really ready to know him. So don't... Put up the next slide, please. The next one. You cannot restore what you do not love. If you, if you, if you say you have a heart for restoration and don't love it, you don't really have a heart for restoration. You have a heart for doing what you want. So you cannot restore what you don't love. Next one. And you cannot be unified with what you don't love. So unity does not always look like thinking. Let me explain this. Walking walking in agreement and agreeing on everything are not the same. So like my wife and I, we don't agree on everything, but we walk in agreement. Are you with me? So like you don't need to agree on everything to be able to walk with somebody. There's going to be some of you in here that you're like, man, Pastor Caleb brought it this week, and the next week he said something, you're just like, I don't, I don't know if I agree with that, and I, I don't know if I can be here. <laughs> Are you with me? If, if the Lord's called you here, you have to make a, ch- a choice to walk into agreement and talk about things you don't agree about. That's what every relationship is built upon. Ha- relationships are built on questions. That's good. It's okay. You need to ask questions. So, like, the way that you get to know somebody is, like, hi, what's your name? Question. Where are you from? Question. What do you do? Question. Um, and, the, and the way a relationship progresses is that those questions move to, to deeper questions and deeper questions, and those, the deeper questions actually lead to intimacy, and that's, that takes up time and takes process. So let's pick up in Acts chapter 2, verse 2. Oh, God. Here we go. I'm going to be talking real fast. Here we go. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting, and divided tongues as a, tongue, uh, as a fire appeared to them and rested on each and every one of them. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues. The Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were indwelling in Jerusalem Jews and devout men from every nation under heaven. And I want to talk about the reason that they were all there because of the Feast of Pentecost. Three feasts of year that they would have that were big. And people would travel from Jerusalem at this time. So it was merchants. It was people from all over. Okay, verse 6. The next slide. And at this sound, oh man, again, I could talk on this forever. And at this sound, the multitude came together, and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, are not all these who are speaking Galatians, Galileans, excuse me. And, now, and how is it that we hear each of us in his own 
native language. And let me, I'm going to go through this real quick. Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia, Phrygia and Philampia, Egypt and all the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene and visitors even from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians. We hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? So I need to talk about this, that every single person mentioned almost in the exact order were persecutors of Israel. Every single person that was speaking there at some point throughout the Old Testament was mentioned as a persecutor of Israel. So I believe, so when you're speaking in tongues, I believe that the, re, that, that the gift of tongues is not just the shalabaha and the ability to speak mumbo jumbo. I believe that speaking in tongues is when the, your tongue is under complete control of the Holy Spirit. Because, And I also believe that a gift of tongues is being able to speak in the language of any persecutor. See, I've been, I, I've been Pentecostal, y'all. I grew up in the church. I believe in speaking in tongues. I believe in having a language that is above your own. But I also believe that the tongues is so, we've narrowed that gift to just this, when really that gift was about relational restoration with all things. So come on, the real test of your tongues is not whether you can shout about ha in this room. It's whether you're in relationship enough that is so real that your language actually permeates any persecutor. It permeates any place or any high place or anything that sets itself against the knowledge of God at your work or at your homes or in your families. That your tongue actually literally begins to bring restoration because it is actually a gift of tongues that is on your life. That is way more than enriching your prayer life. Go to the next slide. Next one. Sorry. So the gift of tongues allows you to speak in the language of any persecutor. The next one. The gift of tongues does not exist just to help us to communicate with God, but it allows us to communicate to all things and people that restoration is here. Can you go back to verse 13? It's two slides back. So others mocking said they are filled with new wine. And I love this. You know, so like, you, do, you know, do you know what their assumption is? And so then Peter says, but Peter standing with the eleven lifted up his voice and addressed him and says, men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. These people aren't drunk, as you suppose, since it's only the third hour of the day. Thank you, Peter, for highlighting that for everybody. Because he's already having to explain himself to religious spirits. So he's like, he's like, guys, we're not drunk as you suppose. But the thing, you know why everybody thought they were supposed? One of my favorite things about drunk people is that being drunk magnifies either your best qualities or your worst qualities. So being drunk, the, the reason that everybody thought they were drunk is because all of their best qualities were being magnified. And it's only like 9 o'clock in the morning. Can, y'all are supposed to... St- I'm still just, I haven't even had my coffee yet, and all of your best qualities are being magnified by something that I don't even understand because it's too dang early. So being drunk on new wine is actually not for here either. Being drunk on new wine is not so you can get sloshed into service, which I've had it happen to me. It's fun. I don't hate it. Right? (laughs) 
I, I, I don't hate it. I'm not, I'm not, that's not the way I am. I'm not saying throw the baby out with the bathwater. I'm just saying this, that that new wine life is actually about you being able to, your best qualities being magnified every single where you go. Because the God of the freaking universe is inside of you, wanting to be magnified and partner with you and through you. So verse 14. Oh, God. Caleb, I'm so sorry. I won't do this next time. But this is what was uttered through the, oh, excuse me, back, back. Back two more. Oh, next one. Excuse me. Yes, thank you. Nope, next one. This way. I'll just read it. Verse 14. But Peter, standing with the eleven, this is what he said, he lifted up his voice to address him and said, men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. By the way, if, G, if Peter is speaking to this many people, I believe he's speaking in tongues because there is at least 10 or 12 different people that are mentioned there from that speak different language. We're talking Muslims, Romans, people who were actually persecutors in that moment. He is actually saying with his mouth a language that is being somehow filtered into a whole group of people that speak all different kinds of languages. It's a miracle. So Peter is somehow speaking in a tongue that is being translated to everyone. And he says, <laughs> he says, for these people are not drunk, as you suppose, only the third hour of day. So then, that's when he reads what my, my friend here letter, said earlier. He says, but this is what is uttered that the, from the prophet Joel. When he begins to read from Joel, he says, in the last days it shall be God declares, I will put my spirit on all flesh. No one's excused from this. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions and old men will dream dreams. Even on my male servants and on the female servants in those days I will pour out my spirit and they shall prophesy. I want to talk about this for just for one second. See, here's the deal. That word was not about power for the sake of doing more miracles. That word was about relational restoration happening between old men and young men, between men and women, between those who thought they had it all and servants, kings and paupers coming together around the table of communion again for relational restoration so that power can actually live amongst us and be sustained for generations to come. So here's the deal. They actually were manifesting in the room, the upper room, Joel 2, already. And this leads us to my last, my last passage. Like I said, I fit like three weeks into one week, so I hope everybody's with me. Acts 2, verse 42, which is the word for this house. The reason that you guys needed to hear this word is that churches who are not learning to mobilize around community with one another, relational restoration with themselves and all things, they are ceasing to have any impact in the earth. So Acts 2 verse 42, which is my desire for the church of Jesus Christ, says this, after all this is, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to breaking the bread and prayers, communion, in awe, somebody say awe, came upon every soul, and many signs and wonders were being done through the apostles. In all, somebody say all, who believed were together and had all things in common. So having all things in common, like I said earlier, it doesn't mean that you guys all do the same thing. It's that the main thing is still the main thing, and it's common. 
And it says in verse 45, and they were selling their possessions and belongings, distributing them the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God with all, with, and they were having favor with what? All the people. And the Lord added to the number day by day, those that were being saved. The point of power is to be the sign and the wonder of what happens when relationships are restored. No move of God can last when we love power more than relationship. Power will always fade if you love more power than you love relationship. So my whole life, I thought Acts 2 was about power. I was wrong. It was about relational restoration so that power can actually be sustained over a lifetime and from generation to generation. So, so like this exists so that we can actually have something that's sustainable. Because love is something that our children can adopt, but our systems, they probably shouldn't adopt in the next generation. So this is my last, and I want to end with this, this word right here. So our children, if they can adopt love, they won't always have to try to adopt our systems. But when we, so this is why we have to get love right so that the DNA is right. Systems will always change. And I have this story that I heard from a friend of mine. I love this story. It's about this, this, this woman who, uh, she gets married. She's a young woman. And uh, they're getting ready to, to cook a ham. And uh, as she goes to cook the ham, she uh, cuts uh, the butt off the ham, right, and takes it out, puts it in the pan and puts it in the oven. And her husband's like, I like that part. Why'd you cut that off? And she's like, this is how you cook a ham. And, and, and he was like, uh, I, I don't think that's how you cook a ham. And she's like, yes, this is the way my mother taught me to cook a ham. And he's like, honey, I'm pretty sure that's not it. And she goes, whatever, just make the ham. So anyway, like the next, they're at their mother's house later, and her mom's getting ready to, they're getting ready to cook a ham together at this family function. And she, uh, and she gets, starts to cut off the butt, and the mom's like, why are you cutting off the butt? And she's like, because you cut off the butt. That's what you did. And she, that's the way you cook a ham. That's what you taught me to cook a ham. She's like, no, no, no. I cut off the butt because we lived in such a small apartment that we didn't have a stove big enough to fit the ham. So she was living under a system that did not apply to her. In fact, it didn't even apply to her mother, but the circumstances made it happen. Are you with me? Our systems have to evolve. Church has to evolve. And it is okay. But what doesn't really need to evolve is love because it always stays the same. Relationships being paramount, it always stays the same. These are things that we see from Genesis to Revelation. This is what the Father cares about. This is what we should care about. And this is how we can have real sustainable power that actually lasts from generation to generation. Are you guys with me? So let me just pray over you real quick. Lord, this word comes with a disclaimer. Now that it's been released, you're accountable for it, resting place. So I challenge you and I charge you with this word to obsess about knowing one another. 
to obsess about being able to look across the table in communion and know your brother in front of you and your sister in front of you, to obsess about bringing relational restoration towards all things. God, I ask that this would be a church that would be known for it. I ask that this would be, that, that this isn't even like something that's like unobtainable. It's actually your inheritance that we're talking about. This is actually right in front of your face. It's right here, it's right now. So God, I ask that this word would sink down deep, that it would assimilate into this body, and that it would actually be a functionable thing that they are living out day in and day out. In Jesus, I ask that that they would see, that people would come in here and see you in their eyes. In Jesus' name, amen. So, how's that feel? All right. You know, I, I was talking with a friend of mine the other day. Is that like, I, I think the cross is a good symbol. But some days I wake up and wish that, the, that our symbol of, of gathering was around a table. You know, it's not that I hate the cross. Don't hear that. It is an important symbol of what we believe. But I feel like we, people actually, because of that, they, they glorify uh, mangling in, 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 in this over what a life can look like around the table. So, um, so I want to challenge you guys with this word. I love you already. It's been my pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me as your first. And I, and I already went over it. This is probably be a trend, though. So <laughs> I love you guys. And uh, I love you guys already. And uh, can, can you come up here, Caleb, real quick? And Jamadi, uh, whoever else is on your leadership team, and I'm just going to bless you. That's it. Whoever's here in the room, just, and just take it for the other people, okay? I'm just going to bless you. My wife and I are just going to bless you. And um, we, uh, and so I'm not going to prophesy. I, I, have, I have words for you guys that we'll, I'll get to later uh, in, in when we're eating or something. But whoever's in the room, Lord, I, I just bless. Can you guys just bless them with me, please? Just like reach out your hands. They're... Okay, thank you. Lord, I bless this crew. I bless them with wisdom and understanding and the knowledge of you. I bless them with creative ideas to perpetuate real kingdom. I bless you with purity of heart and motive. I ask that, that purity will rise up in, the, in this group of motive, that their motives, that they, they'll be able to look at one another and constantly be able to see the purity of motive. God, I, I ask that they, would, um, that they would always recognize their roles and function in their roles and, and, and be okay with it for what God has called me to do in this season at this time, how to serve one another. God, I ask that their mutual submission to one another will look exactly like the Trinity. I ask that when people look at this staff that they'll see the Trinity functioning in body and in deed and in movement. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. Come on, will you guys just say thank you to Jordan? Come on, you can do better than that. Thank you, Jordan. Come on. I say on behalf of our entire body, because I have the authority to do that, we receive that word in Jesus' name. We receive that. I receive that for ourselves. I receive that for ourselves. Amen. So today's, 
I don't even know what to say about it. But this right here is we, um, if you would like to give to Jordan personally, uh, is checks, Jordan deal, is that okay? Or, yeah, personal checks or cash or whatever, you can put that right here. We're also going to be blessing him as a house, but if you want to do above and beyond, you can put that right here. I need the restoration team to come up. And as they do, it's just, we're going to end very quickly. Uh, but you said the first part was a now word. You didn't know the second part was a now word. On November 10th, I put 10 liters in a room for 10 hours. And we did the together thing where we argued and looked at each other across the room. And it got re- 10 days in the upper room, 10 hours, 10. You have no idea how important that was. Thank you, Lord Jesus. We bless you. Amen. Have a great day, everybody.